So we're starting a new series today called Expressions of Worship. And there are three books out by Wise Words that I encourage you to pick up. One of the three or all three. The Air I Breathe, Louis Giglio is one. Um, Extravagant Worship, Darlene Check, and Face Down by Matt Redmond. All three of these are out by Wise Words. Um, if you want to pick them up, you can do that. I would encourage you to do that because... It's just a great opportunity as we go through this series, not just to come here on Sunday mornings and maybe your life group and talk about it, but also uh, throughout the week, be, be preparing your heart, allowing God to open up your eyes for new opportunities to worship him. Um, we're going to do something a little different that people have been asking me to do for years. And so it fits in so well with uh, the sermon today that um, we're going to have people renew their wedding vows. And I know some of you uh, called and said, yes, we want to do that. But I want to invite anyone who, who would like to this morning. It's pretty simple. It's the vows. I will. You can say I do or I will. It doesn't matter. Um, and then repeat after me. So there's nothing stressful about it at all. Um, so if you would like to renew your, your wedding vows, if you're uncomfortable, it's totally fine. But I, want to, I just want to invite you. First service, we had two couples call the office and 20 couples come up. So uh, welcome to Grace Chapel. So if you would like to, if you'd like to be a part of that, you can certainly do it. Um, why don't you come up right now? If, you, if you've signed up or didn't sign up, come on up with your beautiful wife or handsome husband. And if you got, yeah, good. If, if anybody else wants to come up, I need at least two people up here. And then you can stay down there. You can come on up here. It doesn't matter. Whatever you feel comfortable doing. Brought my trusty pastor's wedding manual. All right. Can you guys stand right here? Good, good. Wonderful. That's it. Okay. Friends, we've come together in the presence of God to witness the renewing of marriage vows for these couples. The bond of marriage was established by God, and our Lord Jesus Christ himself blessed this manner of life by his presence at a wedding in Cana of Galilee, where he performed his first miracle. Marriage is a picture of the relationship that exists between Christ and his church, and the scripture states it is honorable in all. Marriage is intended by God for our mutual joy and benefit, and to glorify our Lord Jesus Christ. This relationship is not to be entered into thoughtlessly or irreverently, but advisedly, deliberately, and in agreement with the purposes for which it was instituted by God. Into this holy union, these couples come now to be renewed in their original commitment. You could all face each other. You can hold hands. <laughs> Start with the men. You, at the end, you'll say, I will. Men, will you take these women to be your wedded wife? to live together after God's ordinance in the holy state of matrimony. Will you love them, comfort them, honor and keep them in sickness and in health, forsaking all others, keep yourselves only unto them so long as you both shall live? Women, will you take these men to be your wedded husbands, to live together after God's ordinance in the holy state of matrimony? Will you love them, comfort them, honor and keep them in sickness and in health, Forsaking all others, keep yourselves only unto them so long as you both shall live. Okay, this is a repeat after me. So I'll say, I is men first. I, and you give your name, take you, and you give your wife's name, okay? We had troubles in the first service. See if you guys can do any better. So I'll say, I, and then you give your, your name, okay? I, 
take you to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death do us part. Isn't that a little uh, more profound now that you've been married for a little while? <laughs> you didn't think it'd be that tough, did you, Gordon? <laughs> for richer, for poorer, better, worse. You think, ah, oh, it's all going to work out perfectly. We're all going to be happy and rich. <laughs> oh, you are rich. We're all rich. Okay, for the women, I, in your name, take you to be my wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death do us part. You know, before I give this pronouncement, um, as I read that again, I really believe that it's in the struggle sometimes that we go through in marriage that we're strengthened. We think sometimes the struggles are what make us weaker. But as we overcome those struggles, whether it's for rich or for poor, or, you know, or for sickness and in health, when we work together and we overcome those struggles, we become stronger. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, even your marriage and even the struggles. By the authority committed unto me as a minister of the church of Jesus Christ, I now pronounce you husband and wives again. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one moment. If you have children in the audience, turn your eyes because I'm going to do something that may be like, oh, I don't want to hear your groans. You may kiss your bride once again. All right. Absolutely. Amber, thanks for asking for that again. All right. We, uh, this morning, are starting a new series called Expressions of Worship. And my goal, our goal during this series, is to help you to see that every area of your life, everything you do in your life, every decision you make can glorify God, can bring glory to Jesus Christ. Our work, our marriage, our relationships, even our thoughts are are all a part of the way that we can bring glory and worship to our God. You know, I read earlier, marriage is intended by God for a mutual joy and benefit and to glorify our Lord Jesus Christ. When you make the vows that you make, you make them to each other, but you also make them to God. And as you keep those vows that you've made, as you keep those vows, you honor God. You glorify Jesus. In other words, you worship So even in your marriage vows, even as you live out your marriage every single day, you are worshiping God. It's so awesome. My desire for this series is that we would all come to understand the the nature and meaning of worship. What does it truly mean to worship God? I have to be honest with you. I've written every, um, every sermon in this series. They're all done. I just sat down and went through and started writing. And, you know, the first one became the first sermon, second one, second sermon, um, depending on how much time I had. 
And I got I got to say, this was one of the most difficult, this difficult sermon series that I have ever written and the most difficult sermon series to ever preach, because honestly, I don't feel adequate to truly express what it means to worship God. The more I studied, the more I, I kind of realized, gosh, I'm, I'm, this isn't adequately explaining it. So here's what I'd like to do. I'll do my best. I'll do the best what God has given me. I'll do my best to explain it to you and to help you to see what worshiping God is all about. And, and you do your best to really try to listen and add to what I'm saying. So maybe reading some of these books, maybe going through the Bible yourself and looking up all the verses that talk about worshiping God, how God is to be worshipped. You will be amazed at what you find as you study through this. So I'll do my best, you do your best, and we'll try to worship God even through this series as we learn more about him. I was flying to Nigeria about seven or eight years ago. I had the privilege of sitting next to uh, a Nigerian woman who was going home from, she was in America, she was going home to Nigeria. And we got into a conversation about what it was like to be a Christian in Nigeria in her part of the country. Her part of the country, she said, was predominantly Muslim. And uh, so she's talking about the challenges that she was facing, her church was facing. And when they go to worship God in that kind of environment, she said it's a, it's a dangerous environment. But she said also, she talked about the joys of being a believer in Jesus Christ and having, having the privilege to go and to worship the one that she loves so much. She said that, you know, going to church is literally taking your life into your hands. But she still said, you know, I love Christ so much. That's what I desire to do. I said, couldn't you do it in secret? I know in China they do things in secret sometimes. And, you know, she just said, you know, I don't want to be found, you know, hiding or sitting at home um, and, and when my Lord and Savior, the one I love so much, returns. I want to be found worshiping God. It was profound. It really was. I felt bad for her because she uh, was coming from a state in Nigeria where it was very difficult to express your your love for Jesus and your and the ability to just go and worship and taking your life into your own hands. I thought, thank God I live in America. But then I started thinking to myself, even this week, you know, maybe because we live in America and it's so easy to find a Bible and you, know, you can find thousands of Bibles Anywhere, anywhere you, you've seen Bibles are here in, in hotel rooms. We can get them. I mean, Bibles, we can go to a store and just pick one up. Family Christian has wonderful Bibles. You can go there and, and, and in other parts of the world, you, you don't have that privilege. But maybe I thought to myself, it, it makes us a little, um, I don't say callous, but we, you know, we take it for granted. We come to church. We get to come to church on Sundays. We go to a small group on Wednesdays. And sometimes there's different things going on during the week. And we can come and we can, we can do baptismal services. We can do all kinds of cool things. And no one threatens our lives. Maybe that makes us a little complacent. And we don't think about what we're doing when we walk through the doors of the church. We don't really, we don't really think about it. It doesn't really hit home what we're actually doing. And we don't, we don't dwell on the reason that we're here, the reason that we're here is to worship God, whether it's through the sermon, whether it's through singing, interacting with each other, whatever we're doing here on Sunday mornings, we are here to worship God. And David invites us in Psalm 95 to respond to God's invitation to worship. And I'll be looking at Psalm 95 for the next two weeks. 
Psalm 95 says, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. From the earliest point in church history, the earliest period of church history, Psalm 95 called, encouraged, guided believers to worship. Something they used as they, as they came together, they would read the psalm and they would just worship God. Now before we study this, 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 this Psalm 95, I want, to, I want to talk a little bit about what worship is. What does it mean to worship? And I'll be, I'll be trying to describe this through over, over the next five weeks, so I'll, I'll do a little bit this morning. But again, as I, as I wrote this sermon, yesterday I had to rewrite part of it just because of all that I was learning through the process. Like in the Hebrew, I've read so many different commentaries and so many things online and so many different books talk about the Hebrew word uh, for worship is shikah. And that means to, to bow down. It means to, to kneel. But then as I was studying, and I was studying, and I was studying, and I was studying, there's 58 different words at least that describe worship in the Hebrew. 58 isn't one word. Kneeling down, bowing down, yes, it's a part of. But there are 58 other words that describe what worship is, what praise and worship are. In saying, come, let us bow down and worship, let us kneel before the Lord our maker. The psalm is calling us, it's calling us to surrender. Worship begins at the point of surrender. At the point of surrender. It's an intentional, thought through, conscious surrendering to God. And you say, surrender what? Great question. Surrender everything. Everything. Our time, our talents, our treasures, our whole, all of our lives. I want to encourage you, if you've been going to church your whole life or most of your life and you come from this church background or that church background, I want you to listen to this sermon series. Don't miss a Sunday unless you're out of town or really ill, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time. Because I believe that those of us who have some church background especially, you know, growing up in, in, a, in, a, in a certain denominations or whatever. And I'm not picking on any of it. I'm not picking on, I'm not going to say anything derogatory against any denomination or what background you come from at all. Here's my point. You were taught a certain way to worship, whether verbally or just by, you know, the fact that you went to church there. And so you have in your mind a preconceived idea of what worship is. I want you to take what you learned and embrace that in your heart. That's good. But I also want you to, to find, I want you to open your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. As we talk about worship, you're going to find there's so much more to worship than you've been taught, than you understand. There's so much more when we talk about worshiping an awesome, holy, majestic God than what we've been taught. Some, some traditions have where you just, you're just kind of standing there and that's how you worship Others people are spinning around and running with flags and they're, you know, you're going there, you're thinking, wow, man, that's craziness. All of those things, though, have a biblical foundation, believe it or not. 
They have a biblical foundation. So we're not wrong in the way we worship here at Grace Chapel. They're not wrong in the way they worship in other, in other churches. But what I want you to do, what I want you to do is just open up your heart and open up your mind. As the word of God speaks to you, I want you to receive it, okay? Not throw out what you learned, just add to what you have already learned. I want you to, I want you to have a little more freedom in your life to express that worship to God, not only on Sunday mornings, but throughout the entire week. So I said that, that worship begins at the point of surrender, Surrendering everything in your life, your time, your talents, your treasures, your very life. Paul said in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer up your bodies. Listen to what he's saying. To offer up your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. For this is your spiritual act of worship, your very being. You exist The main purpose of your life is to bring worship and glory to God. That is the main purpose of your life. To be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And as you are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, you bring more glory to God in your life, in every area of your life. The English word for worship literally means worth-ship. God is worth worshiping. God is worth it. Our God is awesome. He deserves our worship. See, whether it's an object or a person or even an idea, worshiping is attributing worth, value to God, to something. When you worship something, you're attributing worth to that thing. Basically, worship is you worship the thing that you value the very most. You put you put that one thing above everything else in your life. That that thing that you worship, you're saying that thing is the most important thing in my entire life. You worship what has the most value to you. What is what is above and beyond everything else. To worship God is is to is to recognize His worth and His worthiness. It is looking, it is looking Godward. It is focusing on God and saying in your heart and your mind that, that God is valuable. When you see and you experience God, you see and experience something of value. Say, this is the most valuable thing. This is God is the most valuable person in my life. The most valuable thing in my life. I want to experience him to the utmost. You look Godward and you say, this is worthy. This God that I worship, it has value. I have its value and, it, it, and God is beyond, beyond everything else in my life. My experience with him is the most important thing that I do every single day. The Bible calls that activity glorifying God. You see, whether you're a Christian or you're an atheist, everyone worships something. Everyone worships something. We worship that thing that we put first in our lives. We worship that thing that has the most value to us. And I truly believe that many Christians who are followers of Jesus are not putting Jesus Christ first. They worship something else along with Christ. He is not number one. Should be. Hopefully will become but he isn't in many people's lives. And we end up worshiping something else and we worship that which we value above everything else. And we can all in our own minds say to ourselves, you know, this is what I value most. This is where my heart is. 
This is my treasure. And when my treasure is there, my heart will be also. We need to treasure God first and foremost. We were all created to worship. God created us to worship. He created us to be a people of worship. It's a part of every person. And if we don't worship God, we are going to worship something else. I, I have a debate with a friend, uh, Anne, that go, is going on for a long time. And I've talked to her before about the fact that we all worship something. Whether you're an atheist, an agnostic, whether you're a Christian, it doesn't matter. Human beings were created to worship. And if they don't worship God, they will worship something. They will be worshiping something. As a culture, as a culture, we have become a people preoccupied with ourselves. With ourselves. Whether that's my occupation, or my relationship, or my financial stability, or, or, or my uh, you know, health and fitness, or sex, or whatever the case may be. Food, it doesn't matter. We are preoccupied as a culture with ourselves. And so we focus on ourselves. On, um, you know, basically, some of the, the, if, you're, if you're physically beautiful, or if you have a certain kind of body, people will worship themselves. They, 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 we are preoccupied, my friends. With me, with I, we're preoccupied as a culture. There's very good things about being Americans and, and having individualism. And I, I, I'm, I'm one, I like it. I think it's good. I do. As an American citizen, I think individualism is good. I stand for that. I agree with the founding fathers, you know, about the individual. But if you take that too far, you get a culture that we're living in now that is so me-centered that is so overwhelmed with self that it begins to pull away, begin to pull the worship away from God and put it on, put it on me. The point is that every single person here worships. Every single peer, person here knows how to worship. What we need help doing is finding help. We need help directing us, leading us to worship the one who deserves who is worthy of our worship, Jesus Christ. There's where we need the help. We don't need any help worshiping self. We don't need any help worshiping some of these other objects and stuff that are around us. What we need help doing is understanding how we can truly worship the one who is worthy of our worship, that is Jesus Christ. And I think that's what David's doing here in Psalm 95. I think that's what he's doing. He's inviting us to worship, to make God the primary, primary person, the primary source of our worship, the primary object of our worship. That's what David's doing here in Psalm 95. So over the next two weeks, I want to break this down, this passage down, into three sections. An invitation to celebration, an invitation to adoration, and an invitation to dedication. Those three areas, I want to break those down. And this morning, I want to, I'm just going to talk about an invitation to celebration. It starts in, in verse 1 and goes through verse 5 of Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. For, for all the ways that we can express our worship, I find it interesting that David picks music. He picks music as a primary means 
through which we can express our praise to God. It's not the only, but it is actually a primary means. A lot of verses on on praising God through music, praising God through song. Music is one of the most profound ways that we can share how we feel, that we can express our feelings to God. God, we want to tell you how we feel. And I love I love the the um, the, the movement of God that happened about 20, 25 years ago, where praise music started to, to it was a revival. Of, of songs being written about the Lord. We don't want to lose the older songs. We don't want to lose the, those old hymns. But there are people now who are expressing themselves through music and through song, through praise songs, lifting, lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ. And I like that. I like the fact that people are, that there's been a revival in the land when it comes to praising God through music, through the music that we sing. But singing is not the only expression of how we, can, how we can share with God, how we can show what we're feeling to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Music is only one way of, of expressing worship. You can, you can do poetry, for example. Poetry is the same as music. Tap dance. I said that in some of the first service said, hey, I just started tap dancing. I said, well, in a few months, I'll be praising God right now. It's probably not just sitting. God's like, what on earth is that? <laughs> no, tap dance as well as tithe. We worship God through our giving. Do you know when you go to the box and you put in the offering box on Sunday mornings? That is an act of worship. It's an act of worship. You are worshiping God. Time, talents, treasures. Some people, oh, they they bristle when you talk about money in church. Look at these people. Tithing, giving, surrendering is an act of worship. I tithe because I give to God. It's an act of worship. Money is not my God. It's not my idol. I would give it all. If that's what the Lord wants, have it, Lord, take it. Times, talents, treasures, it's all yours. But tap dancing, dancing, all the expression, they're expressions of worship. If, we, if, we, if we're giving them to God, if we're saying, God, I give you what you've given to me. I give it back to you. Use my legs, use my feet, use my hands, use my mind. I give them all back to you. They're expressions of worship. We're worshiping God. Anything that comes from a surrendered heart to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is worship. It's true, authentic worship. Now, you don't have to read this passage too carefully to see that it is loaded with verbs. It's loaded with verbs. Come, sing, shout, extol, worship, kneel, bow down. Filled with them. All the things, all the ways that we can worship God. And while worship begins on the inside... You know, we start to worship God. It starts on the inside. Your heart is drawn to him. Your mind is drawn to him. That there's physical, physical expressions that happen, go from the inside to the outside. Physical expressions that we, that we share to show God that we love him. We, we, we start on the inside and it, it comes out and it's reflected. We're reflecting what we feel, what we're experiencing on the outside. And sometimes you'll see people here at Grace Chapel, they'll be raising their hands during worship. They'll be bowing down. They'll be on their knees. And, you, you know, you're thinking, well, you know, what, what? you're in my way. You know, I can't see, you know. What is that all about? That's all about worship. It's all about worshiping God. 
Like I said, there are 58 words that I know of that describe praise and worship. Toda is a, is a Hebrew word that describes raising your hands. There, it says to do that in the Bible. Raise up your hands in two different places. Two different words describe the raising or lifting up of the hands. Nothing wrong with that. It's an expression of worship. It's good. Someone goes to their knees. If you feel like you want to go to your knees during worship, go to your knees. You're worshiping God, and that, that feeling is driving you. I have been in the front row over here many times. We sing praise songs, and all of a sudden, I just go to my knees. I don't think about it. I just feel in my heart, I just need to, I need to be on my knees right now. That's where, that's where my, it starts in my heart and expresses itself. And my physical expression is to go to my knees or to raise my hands. People will twirl around in other churches. They'll be spinning around. I've, we have people in our church in different services. They'll come and they'll get in the back so no one can see them during worship because they don't want to interrupt, you know, they don't want anybody focused on them. They'll be spinning around. There's a, there's a Hebrew word for spinning. Shouting as loud as you can. People will come to me after the sermon many, many times, a hundred times, say, man, I really wanted to say Amen. Why didn't you? Well, I feel uncomfortable. I, I just felt like, you know, I, mean, I don't want to interrupt. There's nothing wrong. You don't interrupt me. You don't bother me. It doesn't get me off track when someone says amen or yes or whatever. You start speaking in tongues and getting up. That may throw me off track just a little bit or something. <laughs> because it's not normally done here at Grace Chapel. But if it's done in another church and it's done in an appropriate way, it doesn't throw the pastor off. Doesn't, no one's eyes are turned to that person. Different expressions of worship. If you want to say amen, say amen. It's okay. Thank you. <laughs> I was fishing for an amen and I finally got one. <laughs> no, you know, honestly, I want, you, I, I want people to know that it's okay to raise your hands. If there's a lot of people here who have never raised their hands because they didn't grow up in that tradition. And some Sunday mornings you're singing a song that's touching your heart and your hands are going up and you're just like, no, 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 no. Can you raise your hands for me? Say, everybody, raise your hands up. Are you embarrassed? No, you're not. Put your hands down. See, you can do it. I'm not saying you have to do it. I'm not encouraging you to do it. I'm just saying that that's a a, a, a Hebrew way to express Hebrew word that expresses worship to God. If someone else is doing it, man, just go. Whatever you feel in your heart that God is leading you to do, that's you know that. And we'll be talking about. I want to I want to lay out those 58 words throughout this series on our website or through one of our emails. I'm going to keep laying out these words so you keep becoming more and more encouraged. In in First John chapter four. Verses 19 through 24, Jesus met a woman at the, at the well, a Samaritan woman at the well. And as they're talking, she says this, Sir, I, can't, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus says back to her, Believe me, a time is coming and has now come when, we, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. Jesus was saying it doesn't matter whether you worship on this mountain or you worship in, in Jerusalem. It doesn't matter if you worship in a renovated warehouse or in a cathedral. It doesn't matter whether you worship in a suit or in your shorts. Nice shorts, okay. But if you worship in your shorts, all right? God knows your heart. That's what he's talking about. It's an attitude of the heart. 
It's an attitude of the heart. You know, we can sing songs. There are times where people, I've been in situations where I know I've seen people, not here, I promise, not at Grace Chapel, but in other church situations when I was growing up, when I was 18 years old, we went to a church, and I know some of the people there. I knew, I knew because they were my age, what they were doing during the week. And man, on Sunday morning, they were just praising the Lord, raising their hands and doing the whole thing and all that kind of stuff. You know what? If it doesn't come from the heart, if it's not a sincere attitude of the heart, if you're choosing not worshiping God, you're just trying to make your parents think something or the person next to you think you're all spiritual, then it doesn't even matter. It's not true worship. It's not true worship. Worship starts in the heart and it's for the Lord. Isaiah 29:13 says this, These people come near to me with their, with their mouths. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He knows the difference between a person who is truly worshiping and surrendering themselves to him and someone who wants to look spiritual in front of other people. God knows the difference. If God doesn't have your heart, nothing else you do inside or outside of church really matters. Nothing you do will even matter. But if we focus on him, we can have the best of both worlds and best of all worlds in and out of church because inside and outside of church, we become worshipers of him in every area of our life. In every area of our life. If you love your career more than you love Jesus Christ, then you're robbing Jesus of worship. But if work becomes worship, then you praise the one. You, you glorify the one who gave you the ability to do the work in the first place. That is an act of worship. You glorify the one who gave you the gifts and talents to do the work in the first place. Listen, you can go to work on Monday morning through Friday and every day, those five days a week, and you can be worshiping God more than you do on Sunday mornings. You can be a worshiper at work. If it is not sinful, it's what? Sacred, exactly. If it's not sinful, it's sacred. So whatever you do, all to the glory of God. It's sacred. It belongs to Him. It belongs to the Father. In sports, you can, if you put sports, if you're, if you're playing different sports, and sports you put above God, then you are robbing God of His glory, of His worship. But if your athletic ability, if you give that over to Him, sports becomes worship. Look at Eric Little. Study the life of Eric Little. Study the life of even Tim Tebow nowadays. I don't want to pop someone up too much here in modern times because you never know what happens tomorrow in the paper. And I'm just saying the way Tim Tebow is living his life right now is honoring Jesus Christ. Football is not more important to Tim Tebow than God. And some people don't like it, but you know what? He worships God at every turn. Everything he does, he's worshiping God through sports. Sports are not wor- is not worship if you don't give the glory to God. Don't put your kid in three sports if you're not teaching your child that the primary reason to be in those sports is to worship God through your actions on the field and off the field. That needs to be. And when you do that, though, you worship God. Teach your kids to worship God. And, and you say to them, pray before you start out, asking God to glorify, that you would glorify him through your attitude, through, through your heart, through your actions on the field, on the court. Teach them to do that. So, so sports becomes worship. They're glorifying. They're giving their talents back to God. Do that when it comes to drama. Drama is worship. Sports, worship. Design, worship, all of it, science, worship, mathematics, worship. Let your children see that everything they do, everything they have, offer up their bodies. It's all worship. 
We, we, need, we need to worship with whatever we have to offer. Listen, whatever I have to offer, it may not be much, okay? I may not be the talented, most talented person who ever walked the earth. I admit it. I, I'll tell you right now, I am not the most talented person who ever walked the earth, by, even by a long stretch of the imagination. So many things I can't do well. But what, what I do have, I need to give that to God to glorify him. Whatever I have to offer and wherever I am, whether it's at home, at work, at school, whether it's on vacation, whether it's on a, on a, on a business trip, whether I'm in, in the car or I'm on the court, our life should be an expression of worship. Offer up my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. For this is my spiritual act of worship. I was created to worship. I was designed to worship. And I was designed to worship God. I was designed and created to worship Him. We need to let go of the secular, sacred mindset. There is no secular. There is no secular. If it's not sinful, then it's what? It's sacred. It is sacred. God created it all, and it all should be used to glorify Him. He created everything. So you don't have to stop doing what you're doing unless it's sinful. Everything else you do, if you're giving the glory to God, everything you do is sacred. Everything you do can be worshiping God. When you leave here today, this is the, her- this is the, the heresy of a sacred mindset. Church is sacred. My Bible study is sacred. When I read my Bible in the quietness of my room, that's sacred. Everything else I do, sports, writing, everything else is secular. What a, what a, what a disgusting, okay, um, what, a, what a horrible, disgusting way to steal the glory from the one who created it all. If you're not doing anything wrong, my friend, then you are, it is sacred. God, Satan never created anything. He only, he only corrupts things. Dance, you can dance your heart out unto the Lord. You can write poetry and write stories. You can write, you can write screenplays unto the Lord. Everything, everything God has given us, we can use to glorify Him. Everything belongs to Him. If it is not sinful, it is sacred. Therefore, I should use it to glorify God. Ask yourself, why do I design? Why do I build? Why do I, why do I work? Why do I dance? Why, why, do I do, why do I do anything? Why do I paint? Why? The answer is to glorify God, to worship God. That's why you do it all. Worship is not a few minutes here on Sunday mornings. That's not what it's about. So you ask, the last question you may have is, but why? Why should I worship God? We're going to talk about that next week. Let's bow our heads. Father God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We praise you for who you are. We thank you for being a God who we can worship every day of our lives, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Lord, if we understand that, there will be revival in this church. Lives will be changed. Lives will be transformed. People will come here and come to know you. They will be saved, Lord God. The lives of other people that are close to us, if we would live out every day as a day of worship, lives would be changed. You would be glorified. Your kingdom would be forwarded, Lord God. So we give this time to you. We ask, dear God, as we sing this last song and close, that we, Lord God, would lift up our voices. We would shout aloud. We would shout with all of our might. 
that you are awesome, that you are worthy through what we sing. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Hey, listen, as you stand up, there's a word, Hebrew word, makah. It's probably makah, something like that in Hebrew, okay? That there's a word, and here's what it means. It means to rub or strike hands together in exaltation. Clap, Psalm 98, verse 8. So that's, there, there, clapping is worship. Clap. 